Good afternoon. We're going to start our call now. I'd like to welcome you all. I'm Fran Stoddard with the Orton Family Foundation. In um, uh, This is a Heart and Souls Talks conference call series when we focus on key tools and solutions aimed at building better communities through empowering residents to plan their future based on what matters most to them. Community Heart and Soul is the Orton Family Foundation's signature community development and planning methodology. Today we'll focus on how community heart and soul can boost economic development and how and why broad community engagement leads to revitalization. Today we'll hear from Jared Duvall, an Economic Development Director for the Vermont Department of Economic Development and an Orton Family Foundation trustee. Hi, Jared. Hi, Fran. How are you? Great. Great to have you here today. We also have Daniel Stevenson, the Director of Economic and Community Development from Biddeford, Maine. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Fran. Hi, how are you? Great. And finally, Patrick Wright, the Executive Director of Gardner Main Street in Gardner, Maine. Hey, Patrick. Hello. Delighted to join you from snowy Maine here today. Spring is <laughs> Indeed. We got that in Vermont as well. So we have, um, we'll get to those, our guests, in just a few minutes. Um, first, just a few things to make sure that uh, you understand how this call works. We have over 100 folks registered today, so we have put all of our listeners on mute to keep the audio as clean as possible. In your email is a link to our Google Doc, so you can interact with us there. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions. And uh, so we hope you, you open that in your browser. And you can also follow along as Orton's uh, Leslie Wright takes notes that you can access later. You can also add your own comments or questions to the document at any time. It's a good idea to skim through there now. There are just a few questions uh, that have already come in, uh, but we like to avoid redundancy, so you can take a look there. Uh, if you have a question during the call, please enter it in uh, that document under those questions. In a few days, we will also send a link around to the participants with a link uh, to the call notes and this podcast. So we are recording this call today. Since the Google Doc can only handle 50 people as active document editors at a time, if you aren't adding to the document by using the Edit button, please close out and reopen the document in the read-only mode. If you're having trouble with the Google Doc during the call, click on the Refresh icon, and that should do it. So, on to our guests. Jared Duvall is an Economic Development Director for the State of Vermont, working out of the Agency of Commerce and Community Development in the State Capital of Montpelier. He has served as a trustee of the Orton Family Foundation since 2007. Jared is also the author of the book, Next Generation Democracy, What the Open Source Revolution Means for Power, Politics, and Change. He earned his Master of Public Affairs degree from Princeton University with a concentration in domestic policy. So welcome, Jared, and I wondered if you could start us up by, you know, kind of setting us up a little bit about Heart and Soul and how you see it helping with economic development. Go ahead. Thank you, Fran. So, you know, at the root of the community heart and soul method, I really like the language uh, that we use around it being a barn-raising approach to community and economic development. I think that imagery of, you know, you've seen those old grainy black and white photos of a whole community coming together and everybody kind of, you know, putting putting one leg behind them and, and leaning in and, and pushing pushing up the, the uh, side of a, of a barn uh, is really what 
the community heart and soul method is all about um, getting all, as many voices as possible, uh, a representative uh, group uh, from a community that makes up its full diversity to um, tell stories and share uh, if they grew up there, what compelled them to stay, uh, and if they moved there, what what drew them there, what called them there, and really identify what are those kind of key, unique uh, values in the community or assets in the community that they want to use as a foundation um, to grow and choose their own future rather than kind of have it determined uh, for them by development pressure. Um, and so, you know, that's, I, I think Dan uh, especially and Patrick later um, can can speak to this specific example of how the heart and soul method has been used uh, across the country by specific towns to identify those things and then also to use that as a basis um, not only to improve things like community relations uh, in a sense of place, but also to uh, grow an economy based on those unique attributes. Um, and we've seen some really compelling examples uh, about that, which uh, we can save, I think, uh, until later. Um, maybe we can address those that don't get discussed by by Patrick and Dan. Um, but one thing that I want to do um, especially is step back a second and talk about how the heart and soul method, you know, it's how it's explicitly used by certain towns, but its principles really go far broader than that and can be used by, you know, almost any level of community, whether it's a neighborhood, a town, a city, um, a state, or even a, a nation. Um, to uh, engage in uh, identifying what matters most um, and using that as a strategy for economic development. So I want to talk about how that, how I've seen that happen in Vermont really quickly. Um, so back in 2009, the Vermont Council on Rural Development convened what they called the Council on the Future of Vermont. Um, and it was very similar to the approach that we take, but just on a statewide level. So just to give a sense of scale, the Council on the Future of Vermont held 14 public forums, one in each county of, of our state. They convened 90 focus group meetings. Uh, I'll read directly from, from their documents. Uh, with a wide range of Vermonters, such as high school and college students, farmers, teachers, nurses, factory workers, low-income Vermonters, veterans, seniors, foresters, granite workers, and advocacy groups. The council visited with inmates at a prison facility and refugees who spoke no English. They met with longtime Vermont families and new citizens. They shared lunches and sat over coffee with and listened to opinions of more than 1,500 Vermonters. And one of the things that came out of that, and also the, the polling that was done statewide, was the recognition um, that what keeps people in this state of Vermont and what draws people here is, is the unique nature of our landscape, not just that it's pretty, um, but that it's an actively working landscape, that we have farms and forestry businesses that are generating income and that are actively used and aren't just kind of, you know, they're preserved uh, for a postcard. Um, and so one of the things that ended up happening in the aftermath of recognizing that, 97% of Vermonters saying the working landscape is, you know, what makes Vermont Vermont and what we need to invest in for the future, um, a group came together to propose to the legislature and, and the governor 
um, that we create a working lands enterprise initiative. Um, and I, I've been lucky enough to serve our agency of commerce as, as the designee to that board this past year. Over the last three years, that board has invest, invested over a million dollars a year um, to grow our um, food systems and our forest-based uh, businesses, our working lands economy. Um, we've done that with small enterprise grants, uh, up to 20000 for uh, new and growing businesses. We've done it with uh, capital and infrastructure grants um, that have identified things like food hubs that would enable multiple farmers in a region to uh, create more value uh, for their agricultural products. And we've done it through investing in service providers, folks who can provide business planning assistance uh, and, and such for uh, businesses across the state in in the working landscape. And we have seen incredible growth uh, in this sector uh, because of this targeted impact investment strategy. Um, And one of the things that I always come back to is that the only, one of the only reasons that this was able to happen, or one of the primary reasons that this was able to happen is because we took the time to have the conversations ask people what makes Vermont Vermont, why do you stay here, what what brought you here if you moved here, and understand those core values and assets that that we want to invest in proactively um, rather than just say, you know, what is a traditional economic development opportunity, kind of a race to the bottom, let's lower our, uh, you know, lower taxes or provide some targeted incentives for, you know, what used to be called smokestack chasing. Um, in Vermont, we're, per, uh, we're pursuing a very different kind of economic development based on our values, um, and I think it was a very heart and soul esque, if you will, um, process that enabled us to, to take the steps down that road. Um, so I, I think I've, I've gone to my allotted uh, time for now. Uh, so I'll stop there. But I look forward to hearing what Patrick and Dan have to say, and I'm happy to engage in conversation a little later on. Terrific, Jared. Thank you so much for for giving us that view of how really taking the time to ask can make a big difference. Uh, our, Our next guest, Daniel Stevenson, has 18 years of experience working with businesses and state and local government fostering economic growth. He is currently the Economic Development Director for the City of Biddeford, Maine. He has a wide range of experience with economic development planning and implementation and has served as the Director of Maine's Tax Incentive Programs, Community Development Block Grant Project Manager, and as a Municipal Planner. He graduated from the University of Southern Maine with a BA in history and a master's in public policy management. So, Daniel, Biddeford did a heart and soul project early on that started nearly seven years ago. Uh, so how have you seen that process influencing and continuing to influence economic development in Biddeford? Well, I'll start right out of the gates by, by just letting you know that a lot of it's been implemented. And I think that's something that's very important, that we have a master plan that was ultimately accepted by the council based off of the process and the body of the work that was done. But something that um, makes a lot of sense when you're doing these kinds of master plans is make, you know, make sure your action items are implementable and you continue to build from those successes. It doesn't have to be 
one large amount of anything. It's a number of things um, working together that continue to weave the fabric and and uh, move it towards um, uh, better downtown sustainability and economic development. So how did we get there? You know, similar to what Jared, you know, was saying, and this is something that I bring up um, fairly regularly, as we uh, – um, when we go in, term, in front of bodies, planning boards, council, um, or talk to other people, talk to the developers, talk to the businesses, I love to be able to come right out of, right out of the gates and saying, the you know we have five five uh, core community values and identified through the storytelling process. And what I like the best about the storytelling process is it brings people out to say what they feel, what they want, what they believe in a way that they don't feel pressure from a question or they might otherwise be uncomfortable raising their hands in a public setting. So that's very important. The next step we went through is we had 35 neighborhood meetings. There we had trained facilitators because that really helped um, focus and to make sure that those values from the storytelling were not lost in that we could get what we ended up with was seven key issues that emerged from that. And then from there, that helped build the, the uh, downtown master plan. Why this is really, really important, and when you talk about, you know, uh, you know, broadband—I uh, mean, excuse me—broad community engagement—is that when we, at staffing levels, uh, in, implement items, I can take the page right out of the book, and I, I do, and I and I clip it with when, when I'm going in front of a council or a planning board or any other commission, and I always remind them of what I just shared at the beginning of this story. And the answer is, wow, if, if the community really wants this stuff, you know, I'm part of this community, and this, this makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. I think that's, that's really uh, important, number one. I, important number two, I'd like to shift how I'm talking a little bit about when we're looking at uh, recruitment and we're talking about bringing business, businesses or developers to, to town. Something I say over and over again that I hear from the private sector. One is a level of certainty to know what they can do in the community is going to be accepted in the community. Two is risk mitigation. Usually it's environmental risk mitigation, especially in old mill towns, um, financial risk mitigation. And three is what I call the speed of business. They're on very different timelines now. Uh, business uh, models are changing. And when I sit with, let's say, a prospect or even a, an existing business that's looking to grow or expand, which is we absolutely love, um, um, love that, I can go right to the level of certainty, and I can say, we, you know, we want you here. Look, look at this um, heart and soul um, downtown master plan. Look at you fit right in here, and and then I I, I go right through that process about this had um, widespread involvement through through the downtown. That puts people um, at a much greater level of ease in thinking, wow, you actually did that? You really went through that process? And, and it, continues, um, it continues to level the, uh, higher the confidence level, um, not just both from the economic development office, but certainly from either the business um, um, or, the, or the developer. You know, another point is no silos. Break, smash them. Get rid of them. Because what we do here is everyone's usually working off limited budgets. We work very closely with our Main Street program. That's the heart of Biddeford. They're out of this world. Delilah Papora is the director. Um, we also work closely with the chamber and our local CDFI, our local economic 
um, development lending institution. And as we start looking at what things are next are going to be implemented, we literally all put ourselves in a room and say, which makes the greatest sense to move forward? We look at financial feasibility. We look at political feasibility. But in all cases, we take leadership roles in order to take this document and it's, it's, I see it as like a living document, and that we can continue to implement. Um, and I don't want to go over my time too much, but if people have questions, I can provide a high level of detail um, from the type of growth that we've experienced and how we're measuring it. Terrific, Daniel. That um, really covers a lot of great, great ground and what about what developers are looking for and how it works. Thank you so much. So uh, finally, we are very pleased to welcome Patrick Wright. Patrick is the Executive Director of the Gardner Main Street Program in Gardner, Maine. He is originally from Roanoke, Virginia, and holds a BA in economics from Hamden Sydney College in Virginia. He spent several formative summers in Maine as a camper and a counselor. This experience helped to form his love of community and his recognition of the unique quality of place that is the state of Maine. Wright has held positions in community planning and economic development at the state, local, and regional levels prior to moving uh, to the nonprofit sector. He lives in Woolwich with his family, raising hogs and chickens on a semi-pro basis. Uh, it's great to have you with us, Patrick, and actually this is very apropos. Somebody just wrote in from Kentucky um, wondering if there have ever been any partnerships uh, with Main Street programs. So. Um, you're certainly our person um, on the ground there. So tell us about your experience uh, leading to transformation in Gardner. Well, it's great to hear that the folks from Kentucky are, are, are tuned in to Main Street. I just got back from the National Main Street Conference down in Atlanta, actually. And um, um, one, I, I would say in terms of, of heart and soul, first of all, let me back up a couple steps. It's great. It's, it's fantastic to hear um, to hear Daniel talk about seven years out what that Heart and Soul program has done for Biddeford in, in terms of economic development. To give a little context to the callers, Gardner went through Heart and Soul and, and just wrapped up about um, about a year or so ago. Um, and um, I, I would say that uh, from from my perspective, one of the you know it's been interesting as you heard my bio. I came to Maine from uh, from Virginia, and there's. Uh, a cultural thing here in in Maine, um, and it has been um, uh, that, that I've noticed that um, folks uh, tend to be slower to break out of being being less positive and less um, hopeful about the future, especially in these towns like Biddeford and and Gardner, who have had mills and, and mills. Uh, you know, one of the last. One of the few places in the United States, or last place in the United States, to actually have manufacturing before it, it went offshore, um, and so there's a great sense of loss in a lot of these communities. And so, one of the the, the magic and what we've seen in Heart and Soul is um, recognizing um, that that sense of loss, but also allowing folks to get a glimpse of a positive future as, as well. And so, Gardner's a um, uh, whereas Biddeford, I think, has about 20,000 uh, in population. We're a lot smaller. We're about 5,800. And to give you some idea, we've actually lost about 12% of our population in the last 20 years. So um, we have um, – this, this community has, has long recognized that the downtown 
would be an economic driver. And um, you know, I, th I think one of the um, one of the amazing things that the heart and soul process has allowed us to do is uh, break out of that funk a little bit, but also um, something that, that that I think is really appropriate for. Uh, the new economy and sort of what's coming. Uh, one of the talks that I did here at the National Main Street Conference was about um, millennials and the millennial generation, and there's a nexus between the millennials and the baby boomers, actually, and the type of community that they're looking for. Um, and, a, and a lot of that, um, you know, the old model of economic development was um, we're, we're going to, it's sort of a, a, a race to the bottom to, um, as Jared said, chase smokestacks or, um, fight with, with Alabama and Texas and, and Florida to see who can give the most tax breaks and, and, and attract business. Uh, the new economy is built on, on talent um, first, and, and what we're learning about the new talent, especially as they're coming in, is that um, we're, we're hearing, especially the millennial generation, they want to uh, live in a place that uh, is interesting to them, and, and they'll choose that over where they you know, used to be. You, you moved to where the, the, you, you were able to find a job. Folks increasingly are saying, we're going to move to a place that's real, that um, uh, knows what, what they want to be and is a cool place to be that we enjoy being, and uh, especially with greater and greater mobility in the workforce, um, there, there's there's more opportunity to sort of figure out where you want to be and then um, and, and then find a job. Uh, and the interesting correlation to that too is that um, in sort of the new model of economic development that I think will will be seen increasingly is that um, businesses are looking for talent. They need talent, and so they are actually chasing the talent. And so in terms of the context of economic development, what we do in Heart and Soul. It's a very intense process um, that we went through, um, and, and one of the things that, that I joke about often is that you know we we um, we could tell it was working um, because it's sort of like uh, Listerine. When you use it, you can feel the burn, and that's how you know that it's working. Um, and, and so it was it was quite um, it, it's it's not all uh, rainbows and butterflies. It's 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 hard work to do this community work, um, but it's really paid off. Um, I, uh, and it's in, in small ways um, and in growing ways, um, having the city council post on the wall in their meeting room a set of community values that the community has said is important um, is, is, is phenomenal. Um, and, you know, a quick anecdote, um, I was um, – I talked about our loss of population. I was uh, on. I was walking downtown uh, recently and came across a woman. Struck up a conversation with her. She had moved to to Gardner from Pennsylvania. And I, you know, as I often do when new people move to town, I struck up a conversation and asked her why uh, why she she chose Gardner. And the first words out of her mouth were heart and soul, uh, which was. Uh, sent shivers up my spine immediately, um, and, and was proof to me that this model uh, works, um, and that it is uh, is critical to uh, to the success of, of our community. Um, some more specific examples of real economic development that's happened in our downtown is that um, in in May we'll be opening up a uh, the, the Gardner Food Co-op, um, which. Uh, completely came into its own were partners through the heart and soul process and and actually um, we 
we, we know that we connected them with members of the community um, who uh, might have otherwise been hiding out in their homes. We had a recently a volunteer celebration recognition um, and had over 250 people turn out um, and, and so talk about busting silos. Uh, our, our NGOs are working together. Community organizations are working together. So, um, it, and it's a really exciting space to be in. And I can say as a practitioner who's doing this work, um, to have gone through that, to create a community that has a common language, uh, a common core values, and can speak to those in a, in a very uh, consistent manner is, uh, is, is worth its weight in gold. Wow. Thank you so much, Patrick. It's very exciting to hear that there's a, really a new kind of community um, happening and that your communities are responding to it. It's very exciting. Um, so we're on the, we're going to get into a Q&A right now. Um, I'd also like to um, welcome Elise Montez-Griego, who is from the Orton office, who might be available to answer one or two questions. And so right off the top, I'm going to um, address um, one of those, and maybe or maybe Jared. One, it, it just turned out today, we, we had somebody uh, from out west um, on this call who uh, was not able to make it at the last minute. So we have these wonderful guests, but they all seem to be uh, mainly from around New England. So Elise, uh, would um, would these principles and impacts um, be markedly different in other parts of the country, or are you seeing that people who are doing uh, heart and soul um, out in the Rocky Mountain West, where you are, are finding uh, very very similar um, impacts and solutions? Elise, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, and hello, everyone. Um, I I think that the impacts and you know the principles and everything that you just noted, friend, are very similar here too. I think, um, for example, in the North Fork Valley, there was one woman who had moved to the valley because she wanted to retire and not volunteer ever again. She was done sort of, you know, putting her time out into the public, and she was so moved by the process that she heard a lot of people talking about, um, you know, that they needed to have a place for where all the artists worked. And she ended up with her own money buying a local church that hadn't been used in, you know, decades. And converted it into an art space and like a studio for people that could um, sort of do their work there. And then it became, you know, what they're hoping is that it is more like a tourist destination that people come there and they can actually watch people do their art. She would not have done that if she hadn't heard the value coming from the community saying that they needed something like that. And so I think, again, Fran, just as all the speakers on today um, have sort of a, a, a affirmed that the it just kind of comes out of the woodwork and the community learns to – not necessarily learns to, but they love itself more, and they're willing to sort of go out on a on a limb and do some pretty amazing things, both as individuals, but also as organizations and as communities together. Terrific. And and while I, I have you here for the Orton Family Foundation, um, there was a question about whether the foundation provides seed money to community organizers who need to form a nonprofit group as a starting point in the project. So there, there are two things here about, you know, how the Orton Family Foundation does stay involved. And it seems interesting that I, I think some of your communities have formed a nonprofit group and, and some don't and, and how that might be important. Right, yeah, and it's a really great question, and I wish um, that we could. Um, our financial model and the way that we're set up as um, an organization, we can't just sort of do grants. 
Um, but we can and we would like to provide some more support to people and figuring out who you might be able to reach out to in your local areas to get those seed monies um, to begin a process of your own. Okay. And it is do do many of these towns create a nonprofit group or is that um uh, yeah, some, the, in some sorry, towns, um, is that just an, an optional thing? It was just an interesting part of the question. Right. Yeah, sorry I didn't get to that. Um yes. So I would say that the the variation is just as, as varied as, you know, there are communities. And so um some of the the towns that have done the work um have started their own nonprofits. Um, others just had volunteers that worked on the, the projects but had their funds go to a, a sort of different fiscal agents. Sometimes it was an economic development group in the community. And then others it was actually done like through the actual municipal government. So the Golden Project, um, Golden Colorado ended up having um, their own group and it just went through the, the city itself. But then there were others, um, you know, like, like you said, Fran, that they actually created their own nonprofits. Um, and worked with that. So it can vary. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, on to uh, Trish from Maryland. She asks, what concurrent levels of planning do you do while you're building foundational change and bringing the community uh, together? Uh, Patrick, uh, you want to take a stab at this and maybe we'll, we'll see what Daniel has to has to think about this. So are there different levels of planning that are going on while you're doing the storytelling or bringing about this foundational change? Uh, great question, right? The world can't stop while you're doing this uh, this this uh, important cathartic uh, community change work. Um, it, I can just say in, in Gardner, um, we did it in the cycle of our comprehensive, uh, some communities call it a master plan depending on where you are. Um, so every comprehensive plan in the state of Maine has to have a public uh, component, public um, input component to it, and this was just sort of that supercharged. So um, certainly uh, lives did not stop. Um, it's it, like anything else; it's a growth process, and, and we sort of um, sort of saw that as our as our growth process. And hopefully, honestly. Um, uh, I think Daniel talked about plans being implemented, and that's the important piece. And if, if you're exercising this muscle, then I think you have a greater chance to uh, to, to get the plan implemented as well. Terrific, uh, Daniel. Did you have any any or even any advice about juggling these these things? You you can't. Yep. Okay, go, go for it. I can give you I can give you a, spe a specific answer. I work from three. We we're doing a we. Um, for those who don't know about Biddeford, um, we we literally had uh, you know a smokestack in the downtown. The stack is, is still there. There was a municipal waste to energy plant there, um, and that was our largest taxpayer. And but essentially, it was a trash burner in our downtown. It stymied growth. And you know, subsequent to this process, um, amongst other things, all combined, the city took a leadership role. Bought that out, and it, we're going through all the stages of redevelopment, environmental cleanup, VRAP, all of it. So why is that important? Right now, we're doing the feasibility work for the redevelopment of that site. Number two, we also have a mill district master plan, but that's more of that 40,000-foot 
you know, the downtown plan that we got out of this is really drills it down. The benefit of it is they all mesh and they all will mesh because even with the feasibility of what we're going to look at putting on the main energy site, the firm that we've hired reviews all the existing plans and they can take a lot of what the heart and soul has done to plug it into the plan so we're consistent with the redevelopment of our, of our of our downtown. So I, I think they all work well together. The benefit of this process, though, is it takes it right to the street level, and it's, it just makes it easier when you're, going, when you're going out to implement something or you're going after some capital resources, you go right to the plans. It, this wasn't me or anyone else making it up, um, and, and that goes a long ways in, in front of planning boards and councils and commissions. Yeah, and I understand it. That was a plant that was it was right next to the river, and it was kind of an ugly thing. So people have probably have a very different attitude about their town by taking this away, which was a big risk. And they, yeah, and they certainly didn't 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 want it there. Um, since that time, we've landed two projects totaling sixty five million dollars. One of them is going to be a, a hotel in the downtown. Um, uh, uh, due to that, yeah. There'll be 38% growth in Biddeford's downtown in the next uh, 24 months. And, and that's in addition to all the other, if other questions come up, I don't want to take the time. I can okay. talk uh, as well about the Main Street stuff that we've done. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, let's, let's, yeah, we'll get through a few more questions and maybe we'll come back to that. Thank you so much, Daniel. Um, we, we have, this is interesting. How, how do you continually engage? This is from Ron underrepresented members of the community, and does food help? And, of course, I think in any community, food always helps. Um, but it's, it's interesting uh, when I think Jared was even talking about all the different types of groups that were interviewed and part of conversations were some of these underrepresented groups. How does that fit into an economic development plan, and, and why is it important to engage those people that are normally underrepresented? Um, should I, Jared? Do you have a thought about that? And then maybe I'll see um, if, if Patrick um, and/or Daniel can address that. That that sounds great. Um, can you can you hear me? I was on mute for a second. I want to make sure that. Yep. You can no, I can hear, hear you. Great. Thanks, Jared. Okay, great. So, so the first thing that that I think is important is the kind of orientation from what you're doing that community engagement. So, you know, there some sometimes there's the approach of well, we're inviting people to come to this meeting or we're inviting people to come to us. And if we, if we really want to reach different communities, especially underrepresented communities, um, you know, we've, we've realized that, you know, we need to go where they are and meet and have initial conversations on, on their terms. Um, and it's not enough to, you know, kind of invite someone to come to you, go to them and, um, you know, ask about their values and concerns and, and what's on their mind and, and see if there are, um, ways that what you're working on is, is relevant to them. And it, it may, may not always be, but if it is a broad kind of visioning uh, process around community development, it very, very likely um, will be. Um, in terms of, you know, but that also requires, I think, an appreciation up front that that costs additional money, you know. So if um, one, of the, one of the board members of... Um, the Orton Family Foundation is a woman named Carolyn Lukensmeyer who used to run an organization called America Speaks. 
um, and they their mission was engaging citizens in governance. And one way to think about that organization is that they almost took a heart and soul approach uh, to national conversations and statewide policy issues. Um, and they actually um, took their approach. Um, uh, they brought their approach to um, New Orleans in the aftermath of, of Hurricane Katrina. And one of the things that they found was the first meetings that they did, you know, it was a wealthier, it was a whiter demographic than was truly representative of the community. And so they invested extra effort in transportation, in providing child care so that single parents could participate, um, and, you know, providing uh, food so that it wouldn't have to be done around uh, meal times and some of the logistical questions. So, you know, I think it's, it's number one, you know, starting where those communities are rather than expecting them um, to, to come to where the kind of uh, locus of activity already is, and, and, and two, being willing to invest, um, if, if you're able, those extra resources, which aren't always monetary, but sometimes will be. Great. Thank you, Jared. And, and Patrick um, or Daniel, have you found that if um, your engagement is as is robust enough that you have engaged someone to represented members of the community, that that is important and helpful. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll jump in. This is Daniel. Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, the the long the longer answer though is that one of the things I try to be careful of is. One thing, you can't be everything to everybody, um, because one of the things, since we have a saying in economic development, if you wait till all the lights turn green at once, you go nowhere. So, But I think what is important is to recognize, and, and when you do recognize uh, and you keep, like you keep this process alive, remember how I talked about we, we break down those silos, I work on a regular basis with the Heart of British in the Chamber, and other, we have other commissions in the community, anywhere we can get feedback, and if people feel we're underrepresented, we, amongst all of us, we try to say, why do you feel underrepresented? Ask a question, keep them engaged. And I think that you need to talk about that robust engagement. This is where the leadership, um, and it comes in, in many forms and, and from different people, um, it becomes real because people want to be heard. And, you know, sometimes you can't always satisfy it, but they, but they can say, you know what, at, le at least, you know, I was, I, was, I was listened to again. And then I always try to bring it back around to, are you aware of this? Are you aware how we've been dealing with it here? Or this is a, a roadblock? Or do you have yet another creative solution that we've not been thinking of? So it continues to give people an active voice. Great. And it probably intersects with Paul from New Mexico's question, how do you overcome public apathy? So, Patrick, do you want to take this underrepresented members of the community and, and even how that helps people overcome public apathy? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll try my best. I mean, the answer is yes, you do You do everything. You, you think of every single creative way. You know, the, 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 um, I, I think the, the reason why public has become apathetic is because, you know, our, for so long our process of public input has been, you know, a board sitting up, at fr uh, up front of an empty gymnasium with uh, one microphone and, and a few people who um, didn't feel listened to and didn't feel appreciated. That's, that, that was... That was the way we've done it, and I think what's um, what we need to remember is whether or not you're following, uh, you know, the heart and soul manual uh, to a T, um, thinking of really creative ways to uh, go to where the people are, and 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 the other panelists have, have sort of covered well uh, how to do that. Okay. And I could just add one one point. This is sorry. Um, it, it, it on the apathy question. I'm sorry. This is Daniel, and I'm, uh, yeah, go for is it. it 
is is that this the heart and soul process what is great about that is that it gives the public a level of they can walk away with a higher level of comfort when it comes to change so therefore you, you, it has a mitigating effect on the on the amount of apathy that you would get if you didn't use these kind of processes okay Great. Thank uh, but you. If I can add one more thing that yeah. just came to mind, too, is, you know, it, it is a snowball effect, too. And so if, if you're truly battling with apathy in your community, whatever community that is, I, it, rather than frustrate yourself and trying to get the apathetic people involved, um, <laughs> take that core group who is energetic and um, and do great things with them and uh, the, the apathetic folks uh, we've found will eventually come around. Okay, terrific. We have a question from Susan uh, from Connecticut. Uh, she was involved in the Borderlands Project, which is a very early heart and soul pilot project. They use the discovery process, which involves meeting people in their gathering places and through random encounters. The community of Killingly, Connecticut, was very enthusiastic about this, although they found it difficult for volunteers to implement because it was so time-consuming. And so she's wondering if um, you figured out how to use this process or elements of it in communities and maybe to make it less time-consuming, or is it just totally worth taking the time um, to gather those stories and to have those conversations. I'll, I'll jump in here. You know, I, I used to describe the heart and soul process as like the same way that, uh, that, that um, Neanderthals dis discovered fire. They were, they were talking about it. They were all talking about the same thing. They all knew what they wanted to do, but they couldn't figure out what it was exactly and, and, and how to recreate it and that sort of thing. So, you know, we, um, struggled mightily with that. And, and, and frankly, I think that get generating that, um, that momentum and creating momentum from the exact momentum that you need and you're trying to get from draw out of a community um, is is really challenging and so we've run out a bunch of volunteers who um, were frustrated with um, this process so I think you know to the extent that um, you can have a clear plan recognize uh, truly your capacity going forward I think um, and 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 Celebrating small wins, I think, is how you you build that. But and, and to not scale your project to be uh, overly ambitious. Hmm. Terrific. Uh, there's a, a question about should rural towns. A lot of uh, people from quite small towns um, listen in, and your towns aren't aren't that large, certainly. Should they attract small entrepreneurs or a few large companies? So this is, I'm sure, something that economic development people struggle with all the time. Are you really encouraging a lot of small businesses or a few large companies, or are you are you really juggling both? Daniel, I'll jump in here if I. Yeah, this yeah. is. Oh, I'm sorry. Who? Daniel? Is it okay? Yeah. Um, I do. I, I essentially do both. I'd be careful with just saying a few large companies. I think in rural states. Um, I mean, it's it, it's we have a different way we look at our, our growth and our growth patterns. But maybe in larger, um, highly populated areas, when they're thinking about you know 
hundreds and hundreds of jobs, uh, they may be looking at how they do recruitment different. One of the things we talk about in economic de development is uh, business, uh, BRNA, business retention um, and expansion. And what we want to do is keep what we have and grow them in our communities. That, that's number one. We look at, and I certainly look at, keeping high-value jobs. Those are usually high-paying, but they're also jobs that allow for a lot of uh, growth, i.e., IT jobs, and in here we, we have a hospital in Biddeford. It's our largest employer, but it's a hospital, and so we have a lot of medical office and medical office type jobs. So we also have a university here, so we kind of look at spin-off businesses. I, I think what is, what is imperative, though, is when I recruit, I look at going smaller companies, higher value that want to grow and live in a community. This goes back to what Jared and both Patrick are talking about, where, you know, 21st century businesses, they want to go to places where they can value and, and raise their families and enjoy these places. And therefore, we're not getting into this contest with a number of other communities around uh, trying to land that one, you know, that one big fish. Um, but, you know, that being said, the, the irony here is that the number of things that we've done in Biddeford with our Main Street Challenges, filling up our storefronts, these are one to five, uh, one to five jobs add up pretty quickly and support our downtown fabric. Ironically, a developer is, is looking at this and he's investing in a $50 million project because he sees all of this other activity, activity happening. So um, I think the short of it is I'd go more towards the entrepreneur route, but um, in keep and grow what we have, um, although we do have commercial and industrial parks, so I look at some, some of the um, larger businesses that are filling those spaces as well. But in our downtown, certainly, I like, I like the mix. Yeah, this is this is Jared. One thing I would say is, yeah. it, is that you know what what are the characteristics or what are the you know pieces of physical and uh, cultural infrastructure, the community infrastructure that that the town has? Because you you can imagine um, you know a place that has a bunch of co-working spaces or incubators set up, or that there's a, a lot of community engagement that would be ready um, to host. Some of those those institutions that help provide the the support and um, resources that uh, emerging entrepreneurs will need, kind of an economic gardening approach of identifying you know folks in a community and connecting them with the resources that that they need to see their ideas uh, thrive and, and get to the next level. You know, at the same time, are there you know some some really large kind of industrial infrastructure? capacity that could be, um, uh, you know, tempting to um, a, a large company that would employ a lot of folks. I mean, one of the examples that, that we've seen here in Vermont is um, we had um, a former Ethan Allen, the furniture company manufacturing plant up, up in the northeast corner of the state, um, had gone a number of years ago. And, and now there's a company uh, called uh, Sweet Tree One that's going to be one of the largest um, maple producers, they're going to be doing value-added maple production that that facility was perfect for. It's going to be one of the largest maple operations in, in the country. So very different than the kind of what you think of in, in your mind's eye with, you know, Vermont and the small sugar houses and the family operations. Um, and, and that was really attractive to them because of the natural resources of, of the forest and, the, and the, the maple that was there, but also because there was this old furniture manufacturing plant. So it, it made sense to invest in um, so I think it all, a lot of it depends on what are the assets um, of your town across the board in, in answering that question. Okay. Thank you. 
Um, here's someone is asking, how can doing an economic development plan be brought into a heart and soul process? So in, in, in other words, if um, and maybe some of you have been, um, Patrick or Daniel, were very involved in, in creating an economic development plan and how that intersected or merged with the heart and soul process. I just did it. <laughs> I literally, I just, I just did it. Um, this is Perfect. the annual speaking. Yeah, we, we are in the process of updating a, a comprehensive plan. And what we had for economic development in it before was, was, there was hardly anything. You know, there, there were statements like to make a business friendly community. I mean, there wasn't really anything in it. And so I work with one of our local com, uh, uh, existing commissions made up of volunteers in the community. And I said, let's do so, let, let's, let's really look at a, a short term and a medium range. I didn't do a long range. Um, for the next, you know, one, one year, two years out in, um, let's put that together uh, with public input, but why don't we start and grab the downtown plan? And that's what we did. And we just cross-referenced a lot of the stuff was already listed in there that had come out of the heart and soul process. But because I have to look at the entire community, it was really more about infilling some of those other growth areas in town and how the type of development um, we we will be putting in there. And ironically, I can go right to the plan and say, you know what, it's, you know, clearly we don't want any municipal waste or energy plan in the city, so we won't be entertaining any of those kinds of things. So it made it, frankly, much easier. So what I do is I take, I take my uh, that, that that work plan and I put I put it right up against the initiatives um, that we have in our downtown. And I cross-reference that stuff, um, and it's great. And I give Delilah a call, and I say, well, looks like we're going to be implementing this, and, well, I'm going to be working on this over here. How can it, – it just makes it work. It works great for me. Um, and, and, frankly, we are going to be tying a significant portion of it, to it, it right into the comprehensive plan because when you're going after grant money now, the, the higher level of specificity that the councils are willing to to adopt, or if you're small, maybe at a you know at a at a at a, um, at a, a town a meeting form of government, it shows that you're committed to implementing this stuff. So right. it's working out it's working out really well with me. So. <laughs> Terrific. Um, here's uh, something actually probably that Patrick can ad address. Uh, it's another question from Isaac in Kentucky. Uh, has there been much thought or discussion about how Heart and Soul can strengthen the Main Street approach that is also a grassroots approach to achieve revitalization similar to Heart and Soul? Uh, ab absolutely. And so for those of you who, who aren't familiar with the Main Street approach, um, it, it is uh, there's uh, about 2,000 communities across the country who subscribe to this approach to economic development uh, in the context of community development and historic preservation around our historic downtowns starting sort of with with the core of uh, of our history because it's so wrapped up in the culture of who we are it is what defines a place and so um, and then there's sort of a, a what they call a four-point approach which looks, which looks at business development sort of the design aspect of the streets and then um, promotions uh, both sort of promoting uh, in a PR way but also promoting by um, attracting people through festivals, fairs, and that sort of thing. So um, that's, that's sort of uh, the Main Street approach in a nutshell. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that 
depending on your community and your culture, a lot of you, uh, if, if there's any other Main Street folks or other organizations that do the same type of work, are probably already doing the heart and soul approach. It's, you know, just mm-hmm. because you, um, th- these are not new ideas. I think what the Orton Foundation has done is offered us uh, a way uh, and, a, and a guidepost through um, to, to, to do it. So, um, and, and uh, interestingly, I. Um, uh, I think this is public knowledge. If not, then, um, sorry to whoever I'm letting it out of the bag. Uh, the, 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 the Orton Foundation and the, and the Main Street Main Program are uh, joint applicants to uh, a, a Main Foundation to actually figure out um, how to use the heart and soul approach to strengthen um, our Main Street programs in our downtowns across the, the state. Um, because we, re- you know, core to our um, belief in our approach to economic development is, like I said at the beginning of the call, community development is economic development, and um, drawing the community closer together will will forge a better future. Right. And, and Daniel, you had mentioned that Main Street is also involved in Biddeford. And uh, yes. Yes, we work very closely together. Um, and th- this is one of the things that is great when you, you – and this is what really makes my, my job fun, is that we take this stuff and we say, well, well how are we going to do it? I mean, uh, and we think, well, this is what the process that was used, and here's some of the stuff. That, um, and we, by way of example, we put together two Main Street challenges where we had to fill storefronts. Now, Biddeford's Main Street at one point was at 30% vacant in the storefronts. We're now less than 15%. We've cut that in half. And how, how did we, we do that? Well, I can go to the page and it talks about, you know, develop program to provide direct business assistance in the downtown and support, uh, 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 support a competition for new businesses. We put our heads together and Delilah was able to come up with a wonderful program that she benchmarked off of, it might have been Lewiston or Lewiston Auburn at the time. And then we made it work for Biddeford and then I was able to uh, get the money from the council for three forgivable $10,000 grants, and then we had three winners through the competition, and then we had three additional winners, and one of them is an anchor coffee shop in the downtown that's gotten, uh, it's called Elements, and it's, it was voted uh, number one coffee shop by some um, in, the, in Maine not that long ago. But w- what we do, though, is we take a look at the total investment, we take a look at the jobs, we take we tie it back to these plans so so the public can see that the work that was being done it's, it, I mean, all that planning that was being done is getting done. So when we report out, we use the press. We go right to the newspaper. We retell the story. You know, th- this came up in 2011, and somebody might say, oh, my God, I remember I was at that meeting. And this is one of the results from that work. So we, we, we let the community know that this stuff is getting done, and it's just not a, another shelved plan. But the way to do that is you've you got to roll up your sleeves, and you've got to work as a team, and, and you figure it out. But we have fun with it here. We really, we truly do work well together. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, another question. This is an interesting one. Is it better to have a local government entity initiate a heart and soul effort? So could this come from economic development people, or is it best to have it, house it in government? Uh, Patrick, you want to start off with that? I know your city sure. government was very involved in Gardner. Sure. You know, so we had, uh, in, in our heart and soul process, we had uh, three partners, the um, um, the city of Gardner, Gardner Main Street, and our, our local board of trade. Um, it, it, but the, the city of Gardner was the lead applicant on it and, and, and did uh, most of the coordinating work. The, uh, you know, 
there's not a definitive answer on that. It, it totally depends on the culture of your um, your 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 city or town, the the, the form of government, um, but really uh, the leadership in place. Do they do they believe in it? Um, you know, I don't have to tell folks on the call that um, some some communities are ready for this uh, it, it, at the government level. Some it needs to needs to happen from from elsewhere if you're ready to do it. So I think, I think that Jared, I'll just offer that, and, and Elise, you can speak more to this if, if you're um, able to. Um, you know, we the Orton Family Foundation recently did an evaluation um, that in, in involved some interviews and surveys with uh, folks across the towns that, that we have um, uh, collaborated with in implementing the, the Heart and Soul method. And one of the findings of that evaluation was that folks self-reported that they thought that the uh, the process ended up showing um, some quicker and more tangible results with with a greater sense of of success when there was a local government partner. And I think that what that goes back to is a sense of um, kind of shared ownership and buy-in rather than seeing it as a as a competing uh, process or or a potential threat politically. Um, you know, I think it, it, we, we've heard from towns that when you can when you can find a champion uh, within local government, whether it's the, the uh, you know uh, city council, um, that there is the opportunity to kind of have uh, dis discussions and decisions on parallel tracks that are kind of mutually reinforcing, um, and that and you know there there are places that we've worked with where the city council, for instance, was so invested in what came out of the heart and soul process that, you know, those those heart and soul values that were identified as guideposts for decision making, you know, have been printed up and put on placemats of, you know, every council member in, for instance, Golden, Colorado. And I think Patrick Ergan said that's happened in either Bitterford or Gardner as well, or, or printed up and put in, you know, the, the town hall or the city council chambers. So if it's possible to do that, you know, I think our recommendation would be to, to pursue that, that partnership and in that engaged investment um, uh, early on. Thank you, Jared. So we're just about out of time. I'd like to ask all of you one last question. What is one thing people can do to take action or get started to kickstart economic development in their town around heart and soul? Um, Patrick, go for it. Oh, right off the bat here, put me on the put me on the spot. Great. Um, yeah. So I, I, the 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 one thing that you can do today um, is encourage engagement in any way, shape, or form, um, and that's by um, encouraging your community to, to give of their time, volunteering, to give of of their money to uh, local charities, and to to really connect with each other. Get out. Um, Go to the coffee shop. Talk to your neighbors. I think that's that's critical in um, in 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 our our community and, and in the future. Terrific, Daniel. What would you suggest? Yeah, the, the very first thing that I would suggest is benchmark. Uh, feel free to call any one of us um, because we can. In even an hour's time, we have a lot of documents, a lot of things, a lot of process to share, a lot of things you might, you know, faux pas and mistakes that can really help you kind of outline the very next steps moving forward. And then as you move forward, you kind of build that network base of others that have gone through a lot of what you're going through so we can also, you know, act as, uh, as, as a champion for you guys to move forward. 
Oh, thank you, Daniel. And Jared. Yeah, let me let me take a little bit more uh, personal approach in that, you know, when we, I I sense and I feel that when we're talking about these issues, it can almost be a little bit overwhelming in terms of all the opportunities and, and where to start. And you know, not only kind of as a town or as a you know a specific organization in that town, but as an individual. And I've always found a lot of uh, wisdom and inspiration in in the quote of uh, Howard Thurman, who said, "Don't ask yourself what the world needs." Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go and do that because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. So, you know, of the discussions that we've had, you know, of the resources that are up at Orton.org and of the other, you know, uh, organizations and processes we've mentioned today, you know, which really kind of fuel your passion and um, reach out to and, and um, work with folks to, to go down that path um, following that, that Howard Thurman advice is something that I have um, always found a, a lot of um, benefit from. Okay. I can't tell you um, how much this has been, a, I think, a fascinating and very helpful phone call. Uh, thank you, Jared, for um, your your inspiring words. Thank you, Frank. Glad to okay. be with you guys today. And thank you, uh, Daniel Stevenson from Biddeford, for your insights and knowledge. And uh, thank you, and special thanks to the Orton Family Foundation. Okay. And Patrick Wright of Gardner, it's always great to have you on board. Thanks for giving us a clear sense of the possible. It's been my pleasure. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Okay. Thank you. So that's our call for today. We've got a few uh, quick announcements. Uh, Leslie is going to put a link, if it's not already there, to a brief survey at the top of the Google Doc in the announcement sections. So we hope you take a moment to complete the survey and tell us about your experience on today's call. It will help us learn how we can make this new series most useful to you. A podcast of this call and the Google Doc call notes will be emailed around and posted online. We hope you also join us for our next Orton Family Foundation event. On May 28th, we'll be offering a training to get started with Community Heart and Soul's approach. The training will begin an hour earlier than this call. Um, we're finding that some people think that uh, 3 o'clock on the East Coast, which would be about noon in California, um, might be a, a better time. So we're going to try that out in May. So that will be an hour earlier than this call. We thank you all for participating. We hope you walk away with some rich ideas to spark community development in your, ta in your town. For all of us at the Orton Family Foundation, I'm Fran Stoddard. Hope to see you next time.